The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this series of episodes, we will begin a verse-by-verse study of the book of 2 Thessalonians using proper hermeneutical and exegetical principles. Our goal is to understand not only the details of what was going on at the time it was written, but more importantly, to understand what it is saying to God's elect in the church today. The reason as stated before is that as Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, God's word states that the Bible is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And again, this is because our presuppositional approach in our biblical worldview as God's saints is that God is the ultimate authority for meaning, morals, truth, beauty, significance, and reality. Further, our assumption is that God has chosen to reveal himself and his attributes, 
his relationship to man, his plan of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and glorification via his Holy Spirit who breathes God's revelation into his word, the Bible. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in the episodes to follow, and that you would lead, guide, and direct us through this study, that we might take assurance, hope, and instruction from what your word reveals to us as your saints, Lord. We give you all the glory for everything that you do through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you would join me in opening your copy of God's Word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, we will get started. Now, first and foremost, if this is your first experience with studying the book of Thessalonians, then I would highly encourage you and direct you to the introductory episode on 1 Thessalonians which deals with the general history of the founding of the Church of Thessalonica, and the, as well as the history of what was going on with Paul and his companions who were responsible for founding the Church at Thessalonica. Here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul and his companion Silas and Timothy are still in the city of Corinth, some several hundred miles away from Thessalonica and are still within a period of approximately about a year from having founded the church at Thessalonica. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians probably within a short period of time, within months, and as stated no later than a year after having finished and sent the first letter to the Thessalonians. The subject matter that we will study in this letter very closely resembles the material to the first letter and highly suggests that the Thessalonians had additional questions and or confusion and or ongoing debate regarding the tribulation and or Christ's return. It is also possible that the Thessalonian church had received a forged letter or some proposed teaching or instruction from someone within the church or surrounding the church pretending to be from Paul which presented incorrect and errant information around the same time suggesting that the Thessalonian church and the saints had missed the rapture and that they had in fact landed in the tribulation and were currently enduring God's wrath. We will see this possibility as it is raised later in, in, by inference in chapter 2, verse 2 of Second Thessalonians. This being said, we start our study in chapter 1, verse 1 of Second Thessalonians. Verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timotheus, that's Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately we see that Paul, 
Silas, and Timothy, who were involved in the founding of the church at Thessalonica, are still engaged in teaching and instruction and encouragement of the Thessalonians and are also engaged in writing and getting the letter to the church at Thessalonica. These three are still visiting and working together as a team in the ongoing growth and sanctification of the church at Thessalonica. It also appears that like the first letters, 2 Thessalonians is written while Paul and his companions, as stated, are at Corinth. Verse 2, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while this can be said to be a salutation, leaving it as such would in all reality be very shallow. This is a reminder from the seasoned, mature saint meant to focus everyone who reads on the foundational truth where we stand in Christ. We are all an unworthy, undeserving bunch who are bound for hell without pardon or reprieve. And by some unmerited sovereign act on the part of God, he snatched us from his just wrath and eternal separation in hell, which we all deserve. He chose us. He elected us to receive forgiveness and justification, which is peace. He clothed us in the garments of his son, Jesus' righteousness, in whom he is well pleased. Verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you towards each other aboundeth. Here, the word charity uh, in the original is the Greek word agape, which is translated self-sacrificial love. As paraphrase, Paul is saying it is completely justified that we owe thanks to God for you because the growth of your faith is immense and your self-sacrificial love for one another exists in abundance. Now, by extension, then and now, when we are talking about that group of people in any age who are, in fact, Christ's elect church, this is the logical trajectory of any church grounded in a vibrant relationship with Christ and filled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Here, the word glory is the original Greek word kachakomai. It means to boast, to glory on account of a thing. The question is, why glory? The answer because tribulation is being endured. The next logical question is, why would anyone want to have glory because tribulation is being endured? Tribulation is a bad thing, right? Well, number one, 
We give glory because, first of all, tribulation being endured brings glory to and because of God. One need look no further than Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. There in Romans we read, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. Again, same word, kachikomai, in hope of the glory, that is, glory in the original, doxa, which is where we get the word doxology, of God. Continuing, and not only so, but we glory, again, kachikomai, in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Next question, well, where does this faith come from that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5? Remember, in chapter 5, Paul says, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. So, again, where does this faith come from? Answer, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Quote, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, unquote. Another question, what is the quote-unquote it which is the gift of God? Answer, the quote-unquote it is faith which is God's gift to us. Two. Endurance of tribulation is an inspiration to other believers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Quote, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation." Unquote. Number three, endured tribulation is a source of reward to those who labor in service to the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Quote, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Unquote. Remember, Paul is making this statement in 1 Thessalonians, again, to the Thessalonians, 
who were currently enduring intense persecution, tribulation, suffering, martyrdom, and all sorts of negative things. But the endurance in the face of all those things would ultimately be both the Thessalonians as well as Paul, Silas, and Timothy's hope or joy or crown of rejoicing when in fact that time came that they would be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Number four, tribulation being endured is a source of condemnation and judgment to the world. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Quote, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Unquote. So, in summary, in the end, persecution and all things work together under God's sovereign will to move his elect to a completed, perfect, and glorified image of his Son, Jesus Christ. This works in harmony with Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, which was often called the golden chain of salvation, or the ordo salutis, quote, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who were called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called." and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, we see nine steps which are ultimately the flow of the golden chain of salvation, or the ordo salutis. One, election. 2. Atonement, 3. Gospel call, 4. Regeneration, 5. Faith or conversion, 6. Justification, 7. Sanctification, 8. Perseverance, and finally 9. Glorification. We see the same concept being spoken of in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Quote, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here again, being confident. That means trusting or having confidence. The word begun in arkomai means to start a designed or planned rehearsal from the beginning. Will perform, epiteleo, means to bring to an end, 
to accomplish, to perfect, to execute, or to complete. The root of this word is the same root found in John chapter 19, verse 30. Quote, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Unquote. Thus, according to Philippians and other verses, the ordo salutis of God's sovereign will is a perfect and completed act in Christ which is already accomplished and cannot be undone. So as we go back to Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5, we could similarly, as with Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30, identify five specific things which God accomplishes as a result of persecution and tribulation in the life of a believer. One, patience. Two, experience. Three, hope. Four, faith, which is the opposite of disappointment. And five, love of God. So in the end, ultimately, as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, as well as Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we ultimately see an explanation of what Paul is talking about with regard to verse 4 when he says, quote, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, unquote. The fact is that there is a symbiotic relationship between persecution and the order of salvation or the golden chain of salvation, wherein persecution and tribulation are ultimately connected to sanctification of believers as they fellowship, encourage, hold accountable one another, and as they embolden and inspire each other as they see and hear the experiences of their respective persecutions and tribulations of their fellow believers which they endure for Christ. Verse 5 which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Here, manifest token means a visible evidence, a plain indication. Put bluntly, the churches or individual believers patience and faith, as in verse 4, in the midst of suffering and persecution, is the proof that verifies the reality of the character and nature which God has implanted in his chosen elect. Suffering and persecution are the mechanism which refine and build the believer and are then used as a testimony in hindsight as to the believer's character and resolve. Like works, patience and faith in the face of persecution and tribulation, and even persecution and tribulation itself, are not the basis of salvation. 
in the end, they are only the evidence of salvation. The degree to which we are able to endure trials is a gauge which measures our growth and God's grace and power in our lives. The greater and more frequent the trials, the greater evidence of the value or worthiness of what God has done in our lives. The reaction and result of trials, persecution, and suffering ultimately bifurcate in two opposite directions. For those God has chosen, trials serve to chasten, build, grow, teach, instruct, and refine us into greater sanctification, holiness, faith, and trust. We are purified daily into the image and nature of Christ. For those who remain in sin, their hearts harden day by day, and their rebellion, like water, always seeks its lowest level where it stagnates and breeds disease. Verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. We must recognize that oftentimes the trials, the persecution, and suffering come from the world of the unregenerate. The reasons for this are multiple. To begin with, everyone sins, and rebellion originates from Satan, who is at enmity with God. Thus, whether consciously or unconsciously, those who are in captivity to sin will find themselves in antagonism and hostility to God, God's Word, and God's people. Perhaps more importantly, the existence, success, and influence of God, His Word, and His people create an obstacle to Satan and to those in sin. As long as God and his word and his people continue to stand and withstand, Satan and sin are restrained to the same degree. Satan and sin will find themselves ultimately judged by removing, redefining, or undermining God, his word, or his people Satan and sin can have greater freedom to exist without any comment or reminder from their conscience. In the same way that God will reward the patience and faith of those who endure persecution and suffering, God will conversely punish those who caused the persecution and suffering. Both God's reward and punishment will be perfectly righteous and holy. Verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Here the word trouble means pressed or pressured. Here we are reminded that trials persecution, and suffering are only possible here and now because God's elect are still in the flesh and as such we are subject to the effects of sin and a fallen world. 
However, when Jesus returns for his church, we will be made incorruptible and be conformed completely to his image. As a result, trials, persecution, and suffering will be things of the past. We will at long last rest and no longer be subject to any of the things which presently trouble us. Verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 simply is a blunt reminder as to how God will eventually punish those who have stayed themselves in rebellion against God and his word. The reality is that man's soul is an eternal entity that does not ever die. Thus, when every man physically dies, that part of him which is eternal, his soul and or spirit, must go to one of two places. That destiny of the soul is the destiny of every man's soul and or spirit is contingent on their understanding of their relationship to Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. For those who know Christ and are in Christ and know him as their Savior, God's wrath against sin was poured out on Christ at the cross, and we are covered by his blood, and his righteousness is imputed to us so that we can stand justly in God's presence with Christ's righteousness clothing us. For those who reject Christ, who do not know Christ, then God's wrath still abides on them and it will be poured out eternally because God's wrath, just like God's grace, is perfect. So we either have God's perfect grace by virtue of what Christ has done for us, or we have God's perfect wrath, which is just because what we have done. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me again for the next episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. It's my